Welcome to The Best Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Bradley H. Werrell, and we're here to explore options and potentials to help us grow as individuals and as a community with one another in these difficult times and challenging times. We're exploring all manner of potentials related to the human experience, physical, psychological, medical, spiritual. It's a wonderful opportunity that we now experience in this critical phase of our human evolution. And I welcome you to join us in our podcast, become more aware and identify with people who are helpful and supportive of you in your efforts as a human being on this planet and elsewhere too. We're going to be meeting people who are doing things that are widely variant from what is so-called normal within our society. In the creative space, within the social space, our common purpose, seeking to generate positive potentials to improve the lives of everyone in our sphere of influence and to expand that sphere of influence so that we may positively influence others that are not yet engaged directly with us. That's the goal here. We will learn more about each other as we go. I wish you the very best. Thank you very much for tuning in. Of, of, of unusual uh, credentials, I suppose, um, engaged in the creation of artificial intelligence for medical purposes, I'm told. So a bit about my background is um, I'm 33 years old now. Um, I got my PhD in biomedical engineering when I was 26 out of Rutgers University. And um, my dissertation and all my work was on using AI to analyze MRI images for prostate and breast cancer. And since then, I've been out on my own um, with my own consulting company, uh, Toast Technology LLC. And we basically make custom medical AI for various clients. We help them with medical AI pitch decks. We actually build the AI itself um, for all different types of image analysis. And um, yeah, it's pretty much uh, the high level view of where I've been. So it's image analysis. It's very yeah. interesting. I, I was um, very, I was trying to be a radiology resident when I was in, uh, uh, you know, my undergraduate, you know, before I got, process through to a family practice guy right which is they they wouldn't accept me and it's like this i i like um i made them do this i only applied to one residency and they because i'm interested in the um functional imaging and um and i'm like well they they rejected me at the one place that i applied when i was an intern and i'm like okay i don't regard that as um good and rejected does that make sense and so I'm like, mm -hmm. I will not accept that I'm rejected until I'm good and rejected. So the next year, they good and rejected me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I can take it. It's just like you dust <laughs> off and you keep on moving, right? But it's mm -hmm. like, so, so it is. How did you, how did you, like, like, because I was interested in biomedical engineering as a high school student, but I didn't you know, I, like, limited scope of understanding of what to do and how to do it. You did your biomedical um engineering how did you turn it into ai that's quite interesting 
Well, biomedical engineering, at least at Rutgers University, where I did my bachelor's, master's, and PhD, um, you choose a track. You can do very wet lab imaging where you're dealing with cells. You can do um, sort of like biomechanics where you're making um, prosthetic limbs, stuff like that, or you could do imaging. Biomedical imaging was one of the tracks. And so this was back, I started this in 2006 when I, I entered undergrad in 2005. And in 2006, I started the biomedical engineering imaging track. And to me, when I was, you know, 19 years old, someone was like, hey, these images are just numbers on a screen. And there's patterns in these images that you can find cancer. And to me, I was extremely enamored by that. And I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. I've always been good at computers, good at computer programming. Um, and it's kind of like it gives me a, a way to use my skills to help patients not just sit in the lab or sit in the basement and write code. Very impressive, man. I like, I like I say, I'm going to tip my hat to you because it's like, it's just a, I think it, there's a generational issue. I got out of my undergraduate in 85 and it was like mm -hmm. computers were not, they're still evolving and we're making the synapses connect, right? And it's like, mm -hmm. you're, you're like, uh, what, you're, you're 24 years younger than me. So you're, you, you're, you have a, a leverage of, of, of being engaged with the technology in a way that I, you know, I'm an old guy, right? It's, it's an interesting thing to say, though, because I'm starting to feel a little different about AI these days with the young 20s people who are fresh out of college, because what I learned about AI back then was like support vector machines and a bunch of stuff that are still sort of used today. But in 2012, deep learning sort of took over the world. And a lot of the young people who do AI, they know that from scratch. And so I'm sort of also playing catch up a little bit with uh, what the young people know. So it flows downstream. Fascinating. So the, 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 here's kind of how I'm looking at things right now, which is, is, is we have a generational function, which is like we engage with the reality around us and generate the, the, the thing that is to come next, right? And so it's like, to me, um, engaging with Logos Productions to create the thing that we already have discussed before. And, and it's like, my job is to engage youthful people in a thing that, that they could not envision without my assistance in a thing that I can't understand because they understand it. You know what I'm saying? And you're doing it, you're in the same thing. It's like this, it's like, how do you create a thing that is beyond yourself and, in, and engaging to the younger people who know how to do something you don't quite understand and it's all, all good, right? We just hang with each other and be mutually generative in a positive fashion, right? And in that vein, I think what's interesting about like me, like. The AI technology coming out of Google is more cutting edge than anything I've ever seen. But yet, you know, my niche as a biomedical engineer is to also understand the regulatory, the FDA landscape, the CLIA facilities, the European CE mark, how to deal with insurances and payers and, you know, multi-country things. And all of that is just a mess. And so to have both the AI and understanding the medical, you know, the, the immunotherapy industry and all of this stuff together puts me in a unique position where I can be the concierge between the, you know, specialists that are AI specialists and the oncologists, for example, and I can sit in the middle and be, position myself that way. We, I understand you. And that's like the, the, the issue is this is so, so as a physician engaged with the, these 
agencies to have, I regard them as interfering between the doctor and the patient, right? And I'm like, okay, um, I'm trying to cut them out of the deal. I'm like, I'm interested in, look, look, as a physician, because I'm, I'm just a I'm just a country doctor, man. I'm like Dr. Mm -hmm. McCoy on Star Trek, man. I'm a country doctor <laughs> like this. Look, I'm, I work with the patient. Patient works with me. I don't care about any of this. I don't want to care about it. Look, because you want me to, you want me to focus my attention on you when I'm being your doctor, if you have any damn sense, right? And it's like, okay. So I'm like this, how do I minimize that? That's why I'm trying to create a cash only telemedicine service that is of limited function to provide the best po possible care at the lowest possible cost to take care of problems that are reasonably soluble, right? And it's like this is um, to minimize this extraneous, which is what you just discussed, it's extraneous influence, which is just not necessary and not helpful to the patient or the doctor and it adds cost, right? And so I'm like, I'm like, I'm, that's rubbing my fur the wrong way, all that, all that extra interference. So I'm like, okay, that's what I'm working on in addition to the other, in, in the greater scheme of things, which is the biopsychosocial model, which is how do I make you better at being yourself and enjoy your life without having to rely upon professionals like me as a physician, right? But I do appreciate this AI thing, which is, is, is utterly fascinating, but I, I'm, I'm a bit... Um, skeptical in in some sense which is to say uh i'm leery of the use of the ai against the um database of all the patient knowledge the the database of all the patient knowledge right what are you wary of i'm wary of undue influence within that construct which is what do you mm. who's, who has access to the data and what are they going to do with the data i think that might be one of the reasons why the data has remained so segmented because right now one of the biggest issues in ai and medicine is no one's collated all this data there's every hospital every pack system has their own set of server their own set of images their own set of patient data their own and it's like there's one study that just came out from google last year and they were able to get like 40,000 images and train um an ai to detect lesions on a ct scan or x-rays or i forget what it was but it took them so long to just gather 40,000 images. And there are millions of data sets gathered every day. And it's like, right now, it's like, does AI come in with this giant data trove? Or is AI trained on only one hospital in one Midwestern state? Oh. And does that apply to the hospital in China? Does, does the I, same algorithm work? It's tough to generalize it. I totally appreciate your, um, your take on this. And it's like this, I'm, uh, I'm all for sharing anonymized data. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I'm, I'm leery about sharing all other data that has uh, yeah, identity attached. Patient identifying information. That's yes. It. We're in agreement. And it's like, I appreciate that. And I'm like, so I already trust you because of that. You, you recognize I think my, that's my skepticism there. <laughs> and I think one of the ways to move forward without the burden of this highly regulated industry with HIPAA. Oops, did I lose you? So. What I was saying was, I think there's an opportunity to have the AI work with a lot more anonymized data. And I think that um, 
it's you can train a really good AI with the with anonymized data as long as it's representative of the general population. Like you need samples from all different races and genders and everything to make sure that your AI is not skewed towards one thing or another. Um, but on the other hand, you want to basically be able to give it as much data as it needs. And there's some interesting techniques where you could sort of do what's called data augmentation and you can simulate other data. So you could simulate what it would look like from another CT machine or something and then have the AI hopefully more generalizable. I like it. I, I know and I, the issue in my, my mind is this. I do appreciate that as a model and I do appreciate your um, sensitivity to the, the issue, which is the, 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 the anonymization of the data. That's the most mm -hmm. function. If you do that, right? If you guarantee me that, I'm willing to share all the data I have with you if I can control the anonymization process. So one thing that's interesting with AI and medicine that not many people have done is what you can do is you can replace the patient name and any like um, identifying things like where they live with, you know, random codes and a sign that, and so that you know which patient it was, but the AI doesn't. But what no one has really done successfully yet and I spoke with someone at IBM Watson uh, yesterday about this. Um, no one's really combined various different data streams. So what I mean by that is let's say you have um, diagnostic imaging for a patient. And then let's say you have that patient's you know, psychological profile. And then you have their blood work. And then you have mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. their, their diet or their lifestyle from their Fitbit tracker or something. And if you have an AI that includes multiple streams of data, that's unique because what most AI does, it, it specializes in one stream of data and, it, and it, it overtrains on that in a good way. No one's connected all those different streams technologically and successfully into a single AI that makes a prediction about the patient. All right. I love this, man. So here's what I want to do. And I'm, I'm very interested in working with you in, on an ongoing basis here which is to say, sure. I'm creating an organization which I call Res Publica, which is this public thing, okay? And it is for the biopsychosocial model, and it is for the benefit of the people in general sense, right? And it's like, I, what you're talking about is exactly in line with what we're talking about and interested in. And it's like, so I would gladly form some partnership with you to gather the data, to allow you to have access to all that thing, to create that thing, which is anonymized for the benefit of the public. Because if mm -hmm. that's, you're helping me, man, and I'm helping you. That's the, I don't know what else we do here besides help each other. Cause if we help each other to help everybody else, uh, that's what we're here for, right? Yeah, and I think one of the issues with stuff like this, and I'm, by the way, I'm very happy to work with you on this, 100% in, no issues, Good just to get that off the bat. Um, I think the problem is gathering unique data that has like at least five to 10,000 unique data points, not necessarily from one single place, but over a hundred different community centers collate that data and get a large enough data set where you can actually make a meaningful AI. Oh, we can do it, brother. It was like this, is, um, is uh, my goal is to create a, um, the, uh, one sub-element of what I'm doing, sub-element. So it's just a small thing, but is the one that will generate the influence because it will attract the attention, which is this uh, 
urgent care function, telemedicine, to, to cater to cash-only patients for the purpose of inexpensive medical attention for primary problems that are easy like to what? Oh, shoot, like what? sinusitis, pharyngitis, ear problem. You get the just cough, whatever it is, right? Basic stuff. And it's like, those things are easy to fix. And it's like, but, and there's a lot of people that have no insurance, like 27 million uninsured Americans last, the last data I had. And it's like, that will generate interest. And we're going to use that interest to generate a wider phenomena that is related to what we're talking about, which is a, uh, to create influence that makes people better at being themselves, okay? And among this is your work, getting you data. We can get data. We just make some deals with some hospitals and da, da, da. they're trying to make a deal. They're trying to make their thing work too. We can get this and we'll have influence to do it. And it will be very exciting. Now, the next question then is, can you make a business model in ways that both that the patients can afford it who don't have insurance and that you're not depending on insurance is reimbursing a doctor $5,000 for a test? No, I'm not having I'm not having any insurance in my system. The, the system I'm on, I'm a cash only guy. And it's like, OK, mm -hmm. what's that mean with regard to. Um, um, that's a separate. You have to offer these tests at a at a reasonable price then know, for so cash not, patients. That's a separate function. Where we're at right. now is so you and me are what we're so look. This is the 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 telemedicine service that I'm talking about is discrete function, cash. Mm -hmm. We're going to make another deal. We'll make a deal with hospitals and 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 gather data that is anonymized and participate with them for the creation of this greater function. That's mm -hmm. all I see it. I know, and it's a separate deal. And it's like, I don't know mm -hmm. how that'll work. We'll figure it out later, man. Right? There One thing go. at a time, okay? One thing, I'm like, the, the, the purpose of the conversation we're having now is generative of, a, of, the, of the, um, the backstory so that people think that I actually am going to produce the uh, medical service that I'm producing. And they go, oh, that guy's okay. He's not a, he's not a, Rap scally and going to take all the money and run off into the mountains and be a you know a capitalist. Well, and one thing you could do in that vein to give yourself even your practice even more credibility is you can show like visualizations of your data in nice pretty charts and stuff and show all the interesting things you found in your data um, for your for your, what you're doing. I'm willing to do it. I'm like I get a guy like you to help me because it's like okay, just you know how to deal with the data. Right, it's mm -hmm. data, and it's like okay, I don't quite know how it all pans out. You know, like um, it all meshes together. And well, okay. and I think it's important to to understand. You know, this is why just a regular AI data scientist doesn't necessarily have the skill set for this because you need to understand which blood work you need to combine in what way, and you need to really understand the biology of diseases and and why you would include different data streams and why what you even ask a patient. And if you just see like a raw data stream and an AI engineer, they might not understand what to do with that. But if you come in with the biomedical expertise and the medical expertise as well, you have context for what domain knowledge you need to incorporate into your data analysis. That's right. So, so the, the, the theory in my mind, so how am I interacting with you? This is the, the way I see this panning out. You and me interacting in a positively generative function is to, is, is we would take the influence gathered by, having this online medical service for basic stuff that has 
nothing to do with what we're talking about. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is minimally related and it's not, it's mm -hmm. discrete, but it generates influence. And we'll use that influence to uh, interact with the hospitals to have the data, to cause them to, to, to be positively engaged, to uh, provide data to us that has been anonymized in a way that they will be comfortable with, right? That they, we will gather the information that you think is necessary to gather for whatever purposes you can come up with for whatever data stream that has been anonymized. Well, now we get back to the creative question you brought up at the beginning. You got to have a little creativity in this sort of thing. Like, what do you want to use the data for, right? That's right. No, it's like this. It's like, I want to make sure that it cannot be used against the people. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's number one. So that no, first, the, the, the medical thing is don't cause harm. Okay. Hippo yeah, Hippocratic, yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like this. So um, primum non curare, I believe, is the right way to say it in Latin. But I, I you know what I mean? So, so the first issue, do no harm. That's right. That's right. And uh, the issue then is um, then we will gather the data and then you will analyze the data and figure out what you can make out of it. And what do you think harms people these days with AI and medicine? Oh, like corporations, pharma oh, company controlling the data? Spot on, man. You're awesome. Which is, is like, you hear about data leaks of millions of mm -hmm. people, right? And it's like, where does the data go? There's a, there's, a, um, there's a documentary that just came out that got a lady um, in jail for it called um, Shadow Documentary, Shadow something like that. It was a documentary about, um, I don't remember the, the true title of it. Millie Weaver was the, the um, author of it. And it's like this, in that documentary, she said, look, here's what happens to the data that gets stolen. It ends up in a private database. Mm -hmm. And that private database is used by intelligence experts with artificial intelligence to um, generate jury pools who have a known outcome so that it doesn't matter who gets selected and deselected because they're all biased in the same direction. That's use against the population. So it's de-anonymized data. So it, um, identifying data is included, which is what my primary concern is to avoid that. And towards that thing, the, the, we just changed our, um, we got, okay, I'll give you a little more background on me, which is I worked as a private practice physician. I purchased the practice with my business associate 2006, and we worked for 13 years. And we learned that you simply cannot make a private practice function in this country, in the rural area, underserved rural area. It can't be done by a primary care physician because they're willing to pay three and a half times as much money to, to the organization which is properly credentialed in such a fashion that you are not allowed to be credentialed. Okay. So it's like, okay, we cannot, we're not allowed to compete because of the, the, the rules. And so we sold our hospital, our practice to the hospital and have become hospital employees for now 16, 18 months. Okay. And in, in the meantime, they changed electronic health records. And the electronic health record is to the standard that is required by for the purpose of getting the three and a half times the money. Okay. And so among the things that they do, and I listen to this, the questions that are asked to the patients, which I don't ask, I don't need the information. In fact, I prefer not to have the information. 
right? And I advise a patient that if I want to know something, I'll ask you myself. But they are requiring the employees, which are no longer under my control, to ask these questions because they get paid to do it. And I'm like, who controls the information? And it's certainly not me. And it's certainly not the patient anymore because they gave it up. And it's like, what's your view on public data sets, like public anonymized data sets with diagnoses or whatever? Right. I I recognize that as a very legitimate question. Okay. And it's like this. I don't, I don't believe in such things. I don't believe they're anonymized. I think it's bullshit. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like you say it's anonymized. Prove it to me that it's anonymized because it's like, I know you can show me that you've got an anonymized data set. Doesn't mean you did not keep the identities included in the data set Mm -hmm. in your private collection that you're using against me and my friends, right? And that's the concern. I'm like, I'm very, very, very leery of data collection that's outside my control because I don't trust you, okay? I like, I trust you. You're all right. <laughs> the general you. <laughs> no, everybody that's not you and me, I don't trust them as well. Okay. It's like this, cause it's like, you're, you're, it's too, it's too, there's too much incentive to misappropriate identifiable data. And what about the idea of you creating a public data set for something that researchers could use off of the corporate books? I would provide such data, knowing that I can control it, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and I, would, I, would, um, I would trust, I think I would trust you, okay? Does that make sense? And it's like, and it's like but it's like this, as long as I can be in control of the scrubbers that make it de-identifiable, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like this, and anybody sending identifiable data through there will be reportable and, and, and punishable. I think also, like, to me, there's a huge growing niche need for researchers who want to do good for the medical AI community, but they just don't have access to public data sets. It's just so hard to scrape together enough data sets for them to make meaningful progress in the medical industry. It's a big problem. So this is it. So, so this is where we would work together. So we will, mm-hmm. we will generate some political influence with this little, little thing that I'm talking about, right? For the purpose of generating the leverage necessary to get those data sets available to us in a scrubbed, de-identifiable fashion so that mm-hmm. satisfies my need and your need, and then we will have something to work with, right? We need some scratch to work with. And it's like the issue that we're having contention with is the, 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 the individuals who are in the ownership position that are seeking monopoly control. And you know what we say to them? They can go right back to Hades, man, where they came from, because we're not interested in working with you. We're going to work around you and we're going to help the people. And that's our business here. Right. And it's like, if I don't care how we get there. And it's, it, it's right rude. And I will be right rude if necessary. And I'm like, not with the present company, of course. Right. But it's like this. It's like, only as rude as necessary to accomplish the objectives of doing the best for the people that we can do, because that's what we're here for. I'm here to help. I'm not- I think, and I think if you showed people the general trends in the data publicly without being behind a corporate firewall, you know, that really helps humanity as a whole, because it allows new other, other people to create AI on top of it or whatever. 
Right. So there's a, um, there's a guy, Robert David Steele. That's the second time I plugged him today, which is he, he wrote a thing called the, um, um, shoot, man, I wish I, I, I'm not so quick on the, the, uh, the recovery of the, uh, the, the logo that he put behind it, which is, it says, um, open source everything. Mm -hmm. That's okay. a very hacker credo. <laughs> right. And I'm like, this guy's, he's all right. He's a, he's an intelligence officer, Marine intelligence mm -hmm. officer. Who's like, he's a, open source everything. I'm like, that is the right answer for humanity. Because it's like, mm -hmm. like, let's make this better. Let's make it easy for other people to leverage off of the thing that we created so that it's more better, faster. Because it's like, we have a big problem here. And I think everybody knows it's look, look around you, everything's messed up and everybody knows it. And it's like, well, that's, that's the, that's the, the basic starting point that I'm working from. And I'm like, well, okay, we find guys like you and we work together and we will we'll leverage this up right now. I, I agree with you. And I do think a lot of the reason that um, stuff like that happens is because a lot of the data is swept under the rug. It's like kept hidden and it never sees the light of day. So the world as a whole can't, can't use it in what they're creating. Well, I, I think this is goes to this ownership premise, right? Mm -hmm. Which the owners really don't have the interest of the public at large in, in their mind. That's not interesting. And does the patient own their data? No, I don't know. No, no, it's, no, no, it's no, gotta no. The be patient, the patient has outsourced that to the insurance company. Right. And it's like utterly contemptible in my mind. Cause it's like, mm -hmm. cause my, cause in order to participate in an insurance company, which is like, I, 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 as a, as a receiver of pay from the insurance company, I have obligations to the insurance company, which is outside of the patient's interest, which is a conflict mm. of interest, which I regard as absolutely unethical, which is why I'm trying to go cash only, man. Right, and it's mm -hmm. like it's very a uh, discomforting situation we have right now, because it is like um, the doctor is being torn and being intentionally distracted from the interests of the patient, and it's like, oh, I regard it as unethical to participate, and I'm like, I'm really, really upset about it because it's like, well, I'm on the hot plate here, brother, right? Yeah, and it's like for like pharma trials you know, is it, is it even ethical to participate in a pharma trial if the big pharma company is going to own all the data afterwards? Is that no. something that you have no. to think about, right? No, 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 no. It's like my data. I'm sorry. Part of, I lost it. That, Fade again, please. Uh, I said, because then the patient's best interest might be to try these experimental drugs that the pharma company's trial is doing, but then the patient loses rights to their own data. So we're, it's a bit of a conflict of interest, as you said. Yeah, it's unacceptable simply unacceptable. And so it's like, well, I, I, I don't know. We're, we end up in this very bad territory now, okay? So we're like, what is being employed is, is we're in this very critical stage of our social development in our civilization, right? Which is this is uh, the, whole, the whole civilizational structures, all the uh, socioeconomic structures that we, we are participate in are based on a premise of confidence of the public. The public recognizes that they're being ripped off by vested interests that are outside, outside of their control. Mm -hmm. It's like this. So the public has very great confidence that they're being ripped off and it's musical chairs. The music is stopping. There's no chairs and I'm going to get taken in the shorts, right? 
And it's like, my confidence is diminished. Therefore, the system must collapse, right? And so what we're witnessing at the moment is um, general social bankruptcy. It must be reorganized into a new generation of things that will work better. That's what we're, we're in the middle of it. And this, the COVID thing is part of it, is all the, the, the political mayhem that we're witnessing in the United States is part of it too, because it's like this. In a, in a bankruptcy, so reorganization, the liabilities and the assets are combined into a seed which falls into the hands of the receiver. And the receiver in a bankruptcy, like a personal bankruptcy, is decided by the court. Okay? In the, in the social bankruptcy, the civilizational bankruptcy is decided by politics. So they're attempting to influence the people by psychological pressures to, to, to generate the uh, preferred result. Who's the receiver? And it's like the receiver is the people who have always been the receiver are the, the, the capitalists is what the Marxists would say, right? And it's like... They're not the ones really controlling the means of production are getting all the benefit. Right. And it's like, it's not really capitalists, it's monopoly capitalists. Mm. Right? So it's a perverse form of capitalism, which is to say we're not having real competition here because that's as, um, but David Rockefeller, I believe, said it. He said, competition is a sin. <laughs> and it's like this. It's like, well, okay. So, so, because it, because it makes it, it makes it, like gritty for the guy who owns everything, right? And he doesn't want that. He wants to have smooth sailing and be in control and stay in control forever. And it's like that's mm -hmm. the, I call this the owner the owner the, the the owner mentality or whatever like that. The spirit of ownership, okay? And it's like okay, well that that's against the interests of the general public. And so it's like this. So guys like you and me, we're like, well, we'll, we'll tip the apple cart over, right? Mm -hmm. But even even. Even Jesus himself was driven to violence by the bankers, right? The bankers, <laughs> right? And it's like, okay, I'm not better than him, okay? I'm not better than Jesus, okay? And it's like, it's okay. I don't mind doing it and taking some risk to do it because I see risk here because it's like this because they have all, they control the, the, the licensures and all these little things. They can make your life live in hell. And they did it on purpose like that because it's like, well, that's interesting to them to be able to maintain control. And it's okay. You also, I think you also have to think of not only the capitalists, but the people and giant hospitals who don't want to give their data away because they want to eventually make a profit off of it. You have to think of their incentives. Like, why would a hospital want to open source their stuff either? Well, we're in agreement. So it's like this. It's like, to me, the, the interesting function, this is like playing board games. You ever play this game called Carcassonne? No. Okay, and this is a game, right? But one of the interesting functions in a multiplayer version of it, like more than two, is, is aligning people's interests in a way that seems contrary to their interests, right? Hmm. And that's like, so I like, uh, that's how I'm studying the game now. I like to play these games. And I'm like, so I'm like this, I'm trying to look, when I'm, I'm making my little clinic here that does the simple stuff, that's not very interesting to either one of us, okay? But it solves people's basic problems. So it's it within their interests. So I'm like, how do I align the interest to make it so that it markets itself and people are interested in promoting it and getting engaged mm -hmm. in making it work? And so it's like the same thing. We'll, we'll figure out how to align the interests of the hospital sufficiently to cause them to be interested enough to participate. And that's like, that's just a, mm -hmm. it's just a game. 
And it's like, it's not hard. And I don't know if it, you know, you don't know how it will work and we'll just figure it out. And it will be mm-hmm. an interesting little process, right? Mm-hmm. And, that, and it's like, it doesn't matter because it's like, well, we'll, we, we'll learn by engaging with the process of, of dealing with these people who are resisting our interest. And we'll figure out how to make it work better for all of us, right? Because it's you like, don't, uh, you don't, you don't learn how to climb the tree by studying how to climb the tree. You learn by right. climbing the tree. That's right. It's not in a book. <laughs> and you, don't go to college for that one, kids. That's for all you guys listening, because it's that's an important lesson right there. That was, that mm-hmm. was Rob. That was beautiful, man. I want to thank you. <laughs> it's just like exactly right. It's like, yeah, don't try that. Don't try this. Don't read this. Don't learn how to climb the tree from a book. <laughs> climb the tree <laughs> climb the tree that's right that's right this experience of it right mm-hmm. engage with it like as a as a full sensory motor engagement is what was is necessary and it's beautiful man you're doing good work man i'm very impressed by this young man that's done all this craziness it's like wow that's <laughs> the wildness and it's like like uh, i was you know in my in my younger days, right, being a resident and, and engaging with this information, I like I was interested in such things. But it's like, how do you get a handle on it? You got your teeth into it, man. That's good. And you made a business. Out a... Of it. You made a business <laughs> out of it. I'm very damned impressed. It's no small thing. That's no small. Someone's got to. Uh, someone's got to upset the apple cart. <laughs> someone's got to do it. But where do you? Where do you? I think what's. Go ahead. What's up? Go ahead. What were you? Asking? I was saying, I, I think from making a business out of it, and I do have to wrap up in a few minutes, yes. but um, making a business out of it, it's a lot about listening to what the AI researchers and the people who want to get their stuff out there, listening to what they're, they're saying they need to get done. And it's about telling them that, listen, you need someone with a specialty, not just in the AI but also with their foot in the door with the biology and the business world. And I think it's like pitching myself and, and making it clear that I have expertise in all three of those um, is the way I've made a business out of it by saying, you know, I can sit on the business and the AI and the medical side, all three of those I can have a holistic view of. And that gives me a unique perspective that I can you know, make a business out of, like you said. It's beautiful. It's a very good skill set to have. It's a very unusual combination that you have. So tell me this. It's just like, go ahead. I was like, when I was younger, I mean, I was like, listen, I'm good at the computer stuff, but you know, that's great. But how is that going to help society? Um, And I thought to myself, like, well, you can help society by using the computer stuff for health problems. And that's how I found myself in there. It's beautiful, man. I love it. Now tell me this. And what were you asking? I was got, you know, we can sign off at any time, okay? So you're aware, and it's like this mm-hmm. is I'm um, I'm interested. Where do you live, man? Where do you at? Like geographic? Uh, New York City. New York City. No kidding. Man. New York City. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's like everybody's leaving these cities, man. Well, yeah, I'm actually you know staying uh, in New Jersey right now with my girlfriend, but um, because of COVID and everything, the city's interesting. Restaurants just started opening up a few weeks ago. It's coming a little bit more lively. Um, but, you know, I'm just keeping my ear to the grindstone with the city and uh, seeing what happens there. That's all right, man. That's all right. I do mm-hmm. appreciate your efforts, man. I like, uh, I look forward to chatting with you again. We're going to, we're going to do, we're going to work together, man. It'll we're going to do some special things. I'm sure of it. Like, I, what does that no mean? Doubt. I don't quite know, man. <laughs> 
Well, that's why we got to climb the tree. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it's like, I do appreciate you taking a minute with me. I enjoyed the conversation too. And, and, and especially exploring the, this, this very uh, important aspect of medicine that will develop it. It'll be wonderful. Looking forward to it. I want to compliment you on your, your tie and your coat, man. Or your, your shirt and your coat, man. <laughs> well, and I, I you. want you to also know, I like that, um, the, the image you have behind you. It's all wonderful. Uh, yes. It's all wonderful. You're doing good work. And I look, like I say, we'll chat again. I don't know when, but it's like I let John manage all this. Crazy. Sure. It's all very good. Now uh, we'll see what we can cook up. How about that? Sounds good to me. I'm, I'm in, I'll be in touch anytime. All right. I, I look forward to it. All right. Take care. Thank you. Take care.